Isaiah 58, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9, the first part of verse 9 anyway, I invite you to stand if you're able as I read and share God's word with us. Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer, you shall cry for help, and he will say, here I am. The word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, it was there on the cover of the magazine for everybody to see, not a political statement, not a partisan issue, not from some uh, NGO, some a benevolent institution, not even from a church. It was on the cover of National Geographic, May of 2014, the new food revolution, the issue dedicated to the problem of world hunger. And here's what the, the subtitle of that article said, to feed our hungry planet, we must change the way we farm and the way we think. To feed our hungry planet, we must change the way we farm and the way we think. To realize that global hunger is everybody's business and everybody's issue. To realize that we are a family of earthlings and we all are in this together. It's an important thought. To paraphrase something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer said from a prison cell in Germany in the 1940s, Jesus did not teach us to pray, give me this day my daily bread, did he? He taught us to pray, give us this day our bread daily bread. And there's a huge difference because we all own the issue together. Heard a great story about a church secretary in Texas several years ago who was sharing with others her grandparents who lived in Czechoslovakia during the communist regime. Her grandparents were um, devout Christians. They loved Christ. They were evangelicals. They loved the Bible. And their house was continually raided by surprise uh, trips from the uh, communist authorities attempting to confiscate their copies of scripture. Well, the uh, family got pretty creative because they started hiding their copies of scripture in loaves of bread. They would slice open a big loaf of bread and they would hollow it out and they would place copies of scripture, the only Bibles they had, inside the loaves of bread. And they talked all through the years about their baked Bibles and how God had blessed them with their baked Bibles. And this woman, the secretary of a church in Texas, still had one of the family's baked Bibles. And I'd like to think that that Bible still had the aroma of fresh, breaked, uh, fresh baked bread, that it, that it even smelled good. The reason I tell that story is that I think maybe it more perfectly captures the, the unity of God's worlds, that God is not just concerned about sacred scripture and eternal matters. God is also very concerned about daily practical things like bread and having enough to eat and, 
and nourishment and nutrition, that God doesn't separate the spiritual from the material, that God really cares about baked Bibles, about daily bread, and about the bread of life, Jesus Christ, that it's not one or the other, it's both and. Now, the uh, people of God in Isaiah's day hadn't made that unity very well. They had, they had sort of split it out. And Isaiah was taking them to task in the scripture that I read about splitting those two worlds and acting as if the only world that mattered was their private piety, their private religious experience. And if you stop and think about it, we do the same thing in our world today. We forget about that horizontal dimension of the gospel that Ken talked to the children about, and we think only of that private personal religion or that private piety. And Isaiah took them to task. You see, private piety, private religion, is all about religious busyness. Private religion, private piety, is all about us coming together once a week to congratulate ourselves that we're not as bad off as some people. Private piety or private religion is uh, a way for us to come together once in a while and alleviate our middle-class guilt for all of God's blessings on us. In short, Walter Brueggemann has said that religion is nice, but private religion does not deal with the neighbor questions. You know what the neighbor questions are? The neighbor questions are the questions that Isaiah asked in our scripture. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to share your bread with the hungry and bring homeless poor into your house to care for the naked? See, those are the neighbor questions that we never recognize as just as biblical as the eternal questions. Pope Francis has said, first we pray for the hungry, then we feed them. And one is not enough. One by itself is never enough. We pray for them, and then what we, we do what we can to feed them. And this world is in such chaos, mere talk and private religion will never, ever impact the world the way God dreams of it being impacted. The kingdom of God will never come with just talk and private piety. In fact, the promise is that God's vision for the world comes when we do the gospel, not just talk about the gospel. In verse 8, then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Now, if you're paying attention this morning, and you're listening carefully, that almost sounds like a works salvation. Read the wrong way, that makes it sound like, if I feed hungry people, I can earn God's love. If I help those who are oppressed and marginalized, God will favor me and forgive my sins. If I do good things for the needy, I will get into heaven and gain salvation. That is not what this scripture is saying. Let me show you another way of saying it. 
our relationship with others does not create our relationship with God. Our relationship with others reveals our relationship with God. Do you see the difference? Some of you are awake. It's really a sleepy morning that I'm looking at this morning. See, we can never earn what Jesus Christ has done for us. We don't have to earn God's love. God loves us. God longs to save us. So what we do is not to earn it. Our relationship with others does not create our relationship with God. Our relationship with others reveals what's already there in terms of a relationship with God or the absence of a relationship with God. It's what's already inside there that will be shown in how we treat others. There was a uh, pastor named Ted Bingston, and he said he had a really uh, uh, disciplined practice in his life of, of making sure that he practiced the gospel in ways that were consistent and that he lived in such a way that he wasn't just doing private piety, but that he was living the gospel faithfully. He said he did six things, and he sort of checked off to make sure he was trying to always live these faithfully. He said, in relationship to the hungry of this world, he said, I always try to pray. I try to give money. I try to volunteer locally. And then I try to make adjustments in my own lifestyle that might seem to be excess. And then I try to educate, he said, people uh, over whom I have influence to talk to them about global and local hunger issues. And then he said, the last thing I try to do is to advocate, to look at policies both locally and state and nationally and see if I can make a difference in policies and make a difference in in affecting the way that the flow of food is, is uh, addressed all across the world. And I think this pastor is on to something because if you just take a moment and uh, grade yourself on your response to global hunger, which is one of the defining Christian issues of the 21st century, a practical earthly way we can show discipleship to Jesus Christ. Grade yourself on those, on those six. How well do you do praying for those who are hungry, giving money, volunteering, adjusting your own personal lifestyle, educating, and advocating for those whose lives are broken and they don't, they don't have food security? See, it's great to give money to the food bank. God bless you for doing that. It's great to help with benevolence offerings, which we will receive this morning because it's the first Sunday of the month. It, God bless you for that. It's great to work at Salvation Army's food uh, distribution or to help with our community meals that we have the first and third Thursdays each month. All those things are great, but do you see that all of those are dealing with symptoms of global hunger, not with causes? And God calls us to think about and to live our discipleship in all of these areas. Just a couple of weeks ago, Susie Painter, who is the executive coordinator for Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, met with about 100 faith leaders from all over everywhere. And they signed a statement 
that they would work together to help the United States set some new national priorities that we might feed the hungry here and around the world and by 2030 eliminate local and global hunger. By 2030. 15 years. I had the privilege uh, about a, a little over a year ago of going to Washington, D.C. and speaking with our U.S. congressional delegation about issues of global hunger and about some legislation that was pending nationally. I worked with Bread for the World on that project. In the Narthex at the Welcome Center, there are uh, copies of a, a little half sheet of paper entitled Bread uh, with a summary of some legislation that is before our U.S. Congress right now. And it's amazing the bipartisan support that it has collected to deal with childhood nutrition needs impacting Cole County, impacting Missouri, impacting the nation, and impacting the world. And it, and it specifically addresses childhood hunger issues. And as I said, it's, it's gained amazing, in our, in our day, it's amazing the bipartisan support that it has collected. I invite you to take one of these, because listed are uh, the members of our U.S. congressional delegation, the two senators and the representative, their phone numbers and their contact information to do something more than just live a private piety about the gospel of Jesus Christ and to really learn to advocate and to maybe make a difference. Several years ago, when our daughter Kristen was living on the East Coast, she was preparing to come home for a visit and she stopped in New York City in one of her favorite uh, bakeries, and she bought this huge, at the time, warm, uh, wonderful loaf of bread. And she put it in her carry-on uh, bag uh, for the flight home, and she was going to bring us some New York City baked bread. Well, about halfway home, uh, the layover was either Cleveland or Detroit or someplace, uh, a storm came through. It was... It was a, a thunderstorm, and the plane was grounded. And these were the days before they, could, uh, they had restrictions on how long they could keep people in an airplane uh, inside the cabin on the tarmac. They sat on the tarmac forever, and people were getting grouchy. People were hot. People were missing appointments. People were missing uh, connecting flights. And Kristen started tearing off chunks of bread and passing it around. And she said it was amazing the change that came over people as uh, this bread was passed around to perfect strangers. And when she got home to KCI and got off the plane, all she had left was a sack with some crumbs and a couple of chunks in the bottom. And a wonderful story of sharing. A wonderful story of sharing. Because bread, let me tell you something. Bread can make an amazing difference in people's lives. Bread can change people's lives. Amen. We try to always share at our communion meal, uh, 
in case there are new people, that this Lord's Supper experience is open to everyone. We are very willing to share this uh, cup and share this bread uh, with everyone and, uh, and make this a family meal, so we want you to know that. We want you to remember also that there are instructions written in the, um, in the insert in your uh, bulletin. You may read a little more about what this Lord's Supper means to us as we confess our faith and as we live the gospel, and we hope you'll take time to do that. Here's what I want us to hear. Everybody with me? I want us to hear this morning that this meal is a holy mystery. We don't understand exactly why or how, but this mysterious meal is a phenomenal blessing to people since the beginning of its institution when Jesus sat with the disciples. It's a reminder of God's outpouring of love, of Jesus' death for us on the cross. It is a way for us to act out that drama. And have you noticed that when God wanted to say something the most profound about how much God loves us, he chose something simple like a loaf of bread. And he chose something simple like the fruit of the vine to say, this will always remind you that I love you and I care about your spiritual and physical needs. I care about every part of your life. So this meal is God's love reminder and it is God's way of keeping us close to the cross where Jesus gave everything for us. Let's pray together. Holy and loving God, as we take this bread, we offer you thanks for the bread of life that feeds our hungry souls. We thank you for bread to eat that sustains our bodies and our lives. We open our hearts to be people who share both kinds of bread, that the world may know your love in powerful and daily ways. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.